probably more than any other thing, can change the way you look at life, change the way you look at truths that you've held your entire life, can change a lot about you in a lot of different circumstances, right? There's not just uh, some circumstances that despair affects and some that it does not. Despair seems to infiltrate our lives in all sorts of ways. On December 5th of 1872, a old wooden sailing ship called the Del Gratia came upon another ship on the horizon. It was a drift, uh, and they, they kind of stayed away for a little bit, making sure that this ship was not a danger. And after observing the ship for a couple of hours, they realized that the ship was adrift, and not only was it adrift, there was no one on board. They approached the ship and realized that it was the Mary Celeste. The Mary Celeste was a ship that had left the same harbor the Del Gratia had left eight days earlier. The captain of the Del Gratia knew the captain of the Mary Celeste. They sent a, bo- a boat, they, they climbed on board, and there was no one on board. There were some sails out. Some rigging had been uh, sort of messed up a little bit. Personal belongings were still there. Navigational equipment was still on board. It was almost as if the entire crew and all the passengers had just disappeared. Nobody really knows what happened to the Mary Celeste. Nobody knows what happened to the crew. There are theories. Some people think that there was a mutiny on board and something went horribly wrong with the mutiny. Some people think that the cargo they were carrying uh, began to smell as if it was about to explode. And so they evacuated to a lifeboat and tethered their lifeboat to the Mary Celeste in the off chance that it didn't explode and that the tether came loose, the lifeboat drifted away, and the Mary Celeste just kept going and those in the lifeboat were swallowed by the Atlantic Ocean. Nobody knows what happened. Something about the Mary Celeste that that makes me think about despair is what is it that takes, uh, that it takes a, a captain who's seasoned, who's crossed the Atlantic numerous times with a crew that's crossed the Atlantic numerous times, to all of a sudden go from this is a common everyday life occurrence to, oh my gosh, I don't have this anymore, we need to get off of this ship now. In fact, naval theory says don't ever give up a ship if you think it's still seaworthy. So whatever happened to the Mary Celeste and the crew of the Mary Celeste must have been extreme for them to have evacuated a perfectly good ship for a small lifeboat, if that's in fact what they did. There are things in our life that take us from this is a common, normal, everyday life occurrence to, oh my gosh, I don't have this anymore, like that. And they blindside us, they surprise us, they take advantage of us. Do you ever feel as though the waves of life are sort of overwhelming you? Like you're kind of cruising at sea, things seem fairly normal, and then all of a sudden the waves start buffeting the ship that is your life. And you're tossed about and you're like, I I don't know that I can keep this afloat anymore. I think it might be time to abandon ship. I think it might be time to give up. Even though on the outside of things, it may not look that way. Somebody outside of you looking in might be like, oh, they've got it all together. They're not struggling with anything. I'm struggling with things, but they're not. I wish I had a life like theirs, and inside, you're a wreck. There's no crew on board, and you're just adrift, sailing through the seas of life. How do you walk with God through seasons of despair? 
What role does God play in seasons of despair? I know that it's something that comes up a lot. The Psalms are, are full of instances of this taking place, of, of psalmists trying to walk through seasons of despair with God. We read one this morning. We'll read another one here. How do we do that? How do we walk with God through seasons of despair? And rather than be like the Mary Celeste, just adrift, trying to make it to port somewhere, with or without a crew, instead, we are. how do we, how do we thrive in those situations? How do we grow in those situations? And so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're in Psalm 102. We're continuing on our study of the Psalms and progressing through. So we're at 102 now. And what we're going to see is we're going to see one thing that we do wrong and then two things we can do to change our situation, to go from being despairing to from being adrift to actually kind of charting a course and actually growing with God during these times. So the first thing you need to do, the first thing that you do wrong is you need to realize that you don't got this. You don't got this. Let's look at 102 verse 1. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. We live under this impression that we have things under control. And for the most part, we probably do, right? Things are good. You might be able to walk around for months or even years with this kind of look on your face like, I got this. This is easy. I got this life thing figured out. I'm on a roll we have systems in place. We have resources to take care of needs. We even have idols that kind of give us this feeling of control or at least make us think we're in control. And then disaster strikes. I think despair happens when the circumstances of life overwhelm your capability to handle them. That's what despair is. Whatever systems you have in place get overwhelmed by the circumstances of life. So last week we talked about longing. What's the difference between longing and despair? I think the difference is hope. Somebody that's full of longing, even for longing to get out of a bad situation, has hope. Somebody that's despairing begins to lose that hope, that flicker of hope, that flame that burns inside of all of us, that hopes for a better day tomorrow or the next day or in the future, starts to go out, the candle's burning down, and you're losing that hope. That's the difference between longing and hope, or sorry, longing and despair. That's the difference between longing and despair. This is what happens in Psalm 102, verses 1 to 2. The psalmist realizes that something is wrong in his life, and he's crying out to God. And this isn't a, hey, God, when you get a chance, maybe you could give me a hand here, because things are kind of stressful. No, it's, God, this is a 911. Put down whatever it is that you're doing and help me. Notice the words, don't turn your face away. Instead, lean in, listen, hear me. That's what's happening and the psalmist does a huge favor for us, because in the next several verses, he walks us through all the different things he's going through that makes him feel despair. And it's kind of this awful conglomeration of terrible things that any one of these things would put some of us in despair. And so let's walk through and see the different kind of things. This isn't an exhaustive list, but it's a good list of the things that can make you realize that all of a sudden you don't got this and can come up out of nowhere. First is physical affliction. Verse 3. For my days pass away like smoke, and my bones burn like a furnace. This man is going through physical pain. Bones burning like a furnace. Uh, one commentary I read said that this was probably a fever. You ever had a fever so bad it felt like you were just burning? Maybe not. That's 
probably very serious. You might want to get that looked at. It's a big deal. This man is in physical pain, physical trauma of some kind, and he's hurting. Physical pain can lead us to despair almost like nothing else. It can make you incapable of doing some of the things that you used to do. It can make you incapable of going out. It can make you incapable of sleeping. Physical pain can do all sorts of things to wreck your sort of handle on life, to make you realize that you don't got this. Physical pain can actually literally bring you to your knees before God. And you know what? At some point, all of us will have to deal with that. All of us are going to have to deal with physical pain. Whether it's a, it's a debilitating injury that makes it where we used to be able to run and we loved running and now we can't run anymore, to we can't even sit still and sit comfortably. We're constantly having to shift. And some of those might be seasons of pain and some of those might be the rest of our lives kind of pain. Physical affliction can make us realize we don't got this and make us despair. Also psychological and emotional pain. Verse 4, my heart is struck down like grass and has withered. I forget to eat my bread. We might not say my heart. We might say my mind has been struck down. My mind has been struck down. The psalmist refers to his heart being struck down. His mind is withering. His heart is withering. It's so bad he forgets to eat. Have you ever been so consumed by worry and concern and fear that you couldn't eat and you forget to eat? It's not even important anymore. Mental illness, emotional pain is something that in some way all of us will face because it's so prevalent in our society. You yourself might not deal with it, but I guarantee you that you know somebody that does, whether they have let you know that or not. Let me give you some statistics. One in five people struggle with mental illness annually. So there's probably about 20 people on your row, if you're on this side of the room anyway. About 20 people on your row. There's about five people on that row four people on that road that struggle with mental illness, statistically speaking. 350 million people suffer with depression. 350 million people. To give you an idea of what that looks like, that's in the whole world. That's not just the United States. But our country has 400 million people in it. So to give an idea of how many people struggle with that, 800,000 people commit suicide annually. They abandon ship. They realize the, the realization that they don't have things under control is so deep that they give up. And if that's where you're at today, there is help. Do not fight that battle on your own. Please do not fight that battle on your own. 21% of women struggle with postpartum depression. Now, while that may be a temporary form of mental illness, it is still a clinical form of depression. 21% of women who have children. 40 million people struggle with anxiety. So if you're a millennial, that's kind of our mental illness of choice. Uh, for our parents' generation, I think it was depression. Depression kind of became this thing that it was okay to talk about. Uh, during our parents' generation, for my generation, it's become anxiety. I struggle with it. I've seen counseling about it. I actually take medicine for it. Anxiety is very prevalent in our society. Mental illness can overwhelm you like nothing else. And I think one of the things that's overwhelming about mental illness is that it almost feels like you're fighting an invisible person. Like there's not a physical thing to fight. There's not something seemingly real. It's very real, but it doesn't feel real sometimes. And so you feel like you're just fighting this ghost constantly over and over and over again. That's why we have care and recovery here at the church. 
You don't need to fight those battles on your own. We have groups that meet on Wednesday nights that get together and talk about some of the things that they're facing. You don't have to do that by yourself. It's one of the reasons why we offer that. Also, loneliness and rejection. Verse 5. Because of my gr- loud groaning, and my bones cling to my flesh. I'm like a desert owl of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake. I am like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. He's comparing himself to birds. Psalmist is comparing himself to a desert owl, this bird that's by itself, that's alone. And not only is he alone, he's in a place that nobody really wants to be in the first place. Nobody wants to go out to the desert to hang out with him. And what it seems like, he seems to imply that it's because of the anguish that he's going through has pushed everybody away from him. They're just like, oh my gosh, every time we hang out with this guy, all he does is talk about his problems and I'm tired of it and I'm pushing it. It's pushed people away from him. Rejection and loneliness can be devastating. If you, what you receive from other people is rejection and dismissal. It begins to warp how you view God. If nobody else wants me around, God probably doesn't want me around either. If you are single and looking to get married, it can be incredibly despairing. You may look at your life and think, I'm never going to have that complete family that I've always wanted. I feel incredibly lonely even though you might be surrounded by a whole group of people. If you're uh, married and trying to have children, there can be a sense of loneliness. Our family is incomplete. And it can lead to despair. Loneliness has an effect on your physical health. It's a contributor to dementia, other forms of emotional health, such as depression and suicide. Loneliness is something that is quite, quite powerful in the realm of despair. But then there's attacks from other people. Verse 8, All the day my enemies taunt me. Those who deride me use my name for a curse. The psalmist is kind of being kicked while he's down. People have surrounded him. Enemies are taking advantage of the situation. And they started using his name as a curse. The best way I can describe this is a little bit more lighthearted than what's going on in his life. So imagine that I get in a lot of car wrecks. I don't, but let's imagine that I do. And say I get in car wrecks like five times in a year. And people around the office start recognizing that, wow, Travis gets in a lot of car wrecks. And my name becomes synonymous with getting into car wrecks. So whenever somebody gets in a car wreck that's not me, they walk into the office on Monday and they're like, hey, guess what? Pulled a Travis this weekend, I got in a car wreck. In a similar way, this man's name has become synonymous with affliction, with despair, and with hopelessness. So if you were to say, man, don't be like John here, he's... He's struggling. You don't want to be like that. You don't want to fall into that that pit. You'll never get out again. His name's become a curse. Human beings face attacks from other people all the time. Some of us uh, deal with physical harm and abuse from people that are physically stronger than us, like in Jackie's story. She was attacked. Those of us who are weaker physically, taken advantage of by those who are stronger, There's also emotional abuse, psychological abuse. Abuse in and of itself is a form of an attack from another person. And you might think to yourself, you know what? I'm like this psalmist. I'm cursed. I'm a shell of a person that I was because of this abuse. I'm never going to be the same. I'm never going to be okay again. Here's the thing. If you believe that Jesus Christ is your Savior and Lord, the Bible teaches us that he became a curse for us. So you may feel like you're under this curse because of the abuse that you suffered. You're not. 
And Christ offers restoration and wholeness through his sacrifice. And again, that's what Jackie talked about. God is not a vengeful God. Grief is another way that we feel despair. Verse 9, For I eat ashes like bread and mingle tears with my drink. Ashes. So this is an old ancient practice. When you were depressed, when you were grieving, you poured ashes on your head, you put ashes all over your body to let people know that you were in mourning or were grieving. Grief is powerful stuff. I love that he uses the, the term ashes because when you go through grief, whether it's grief over the loss of a loved one, somebody passing away, maybe it's a bad diagnosis that you've received, maybe you lost a job, maybe it's a divorce, family splitting up, whatever it is that you're grieving, all the color seems to fade from life, right? Everything kind of becomes gray, like ashes. Everything kind of falls apart around you. Grief can make you despair. And then there's sin. Verse 10. Because of your indignation and anger, for you have taken me up and thrown me down, my days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. The psalmist believes that all this is happening to him because of sin. If you're in Christ, that's not possible. If you're somebody who has a relationship with Jesus Christ, he took God's wrath for you. So there's no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no more wrath. There's no more punishment. So if you're going through something bad and you think, well, this is because I've sinned. This is because I have this chronic sin problem and things are bad because I keep screwing up. You are not being punished for that. If you've trusted Christ for your salvation, you're not under this kind of cloud of wrath and punishment. God's not putting his finger on you to make you feel pain. Now, Hebrews 7 uh, through 10 teaches us that. But Hebrews 12 teaches us that God does discipline those that he loves. So while what's happening in your life might be a way that God is trying to guide you and make you more like his son, that has a positive outcome. God just doesn't get his jollies by kicking us while we're down. He's not a cosmic bully. That's not how he works. That's not his character. We have got to start trusting God's character and who he says that he is. Because with all this stuff that's aerated against you, all these minefields that you can go through and blow up, physical pain, emotional pain, grief, sin, affliction, all these things. We can't handle this on our own. We don't got this. We need to trust that God instead gets it. God gets it. Verse 12. But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. This is a sharp change. If you're not careful, you'll get whiplash from it. He goes from complete despair to talking about God. He goes from talking about how a shell of a man he is, how vulnerable he is, how worthless he is, how wasting he is, to a powerful, unassailable, majestic God like that in one verse. The change is incredibly important because he makes it clear that unless we trust in the Lord, we truly do have reasons to despair. If there is no God, and he does not help his people, then we should despair, and despair often. But he trusts God because God gets it. God understands what's happening. Despite God's transcendence and majesty, God still put on flesh through his son Jesus Christ and lived and dwelt amongst us and understands what we're going through. He gets it. 
So how do we trust that God gets it? Well, first, we need to give God our cares. Verse 13, you will arise and have pity on Zion. It is the time to favor her. The appointed time has come for your servants hold her stones dear and have pity on her dust. The psalmist calls out to God about Zion. It's the place where he lives. It's the place where God's supposed to dwell. He wants Zion to be powerful and strong. He cares about it because he lives there. God cares about the things that you care about. A transcendent, majestic God cares about the things you care about. Why? Because he cares about you. 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. So whatever you're worried about, whatever it is occupies your thoughts constantly, you can't let it go. I'm so scared about this. I'm so worried about this. I'm so despairing about this. I'm losing hope about this. Cast that on God. Why? Because he cares for you. God cares about the things that you care about. He cares about other things too. And he wants you to get to start caring about those things. But let's start with caring about the things that you care about. Also pray with expectation. Verse 15. Nations will fear the name of the Lord. And all the kings of the earth will fear your glory. For the Lord builds up Zion. He appears in his glory. He regards the prayer of the destitute and does not despise their prayer. The psalmist talks about what's going to happen when God answers his prayer. This is how I know that you're going to answer my prayer, God. These things are going to happen and I expect them to happen. He's praying with despair, but he's praying with hope. That flicker of a flame is coming back to life. It's getting stronger because he's praying with expectation. We have got to pray with expectation as well and not get tired of it. So many of our prayers are devoid of hope and expectation. So, of us are, so many of our prayers are just rote and we kind of go through the motions, but we don't expect God to actually change anything or do anything in the midst of it. We just offer him up as a sort of salutary, Lord, please take care of this illness. I mean, I really know Dr. So-and-so is going to take care of it, but I need to pray about it because that's what I'm taught to do in church. Pray with hope and expectation. And notice it says that God hears the prayers of the desperate. So you who are desperate, God hears your prayers. And for those of us that aren't, we need to be aware that the prayers of the desperate are heard by God, therefore we should probably hear the needs of the desperate as well. If God has time for it, so should we. Verse 18, we need to look for how God rescues other people. It's another way we can trust that God gets it. Let this be recorded for a generation to come, so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord, that he looked down from his holy height, from the heaven the Lord looked at the earth, to hear the groans of the prisoners, to set free those who were doomed to die, that they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord, and in Jerusalem his praise, when peoples gather together in kingdoms to worship the Lord. When things are really, really bad, when things are desperate, we tend to focus on ourselves, right? We can't get our mind off of our own problems and our own concerns. But what really happens is that we ignore the plights of other people, we ignore the successes that other people are having, but the psalmist points us to do things differently. He looks forward to how generations in the future will worship. He looks forward to prisoners being set free and worshiping freely. He looks forward to when all people of all walks of life will get together and worship. Look at how God has delivered other people. Look at your own situation and look how God has delivered other people in those situations and draw hope from that. Draw strength in that and recognize that they're no different than you. They too struggled and went through times of despair. And maybe not just look at their situation, but maybe look at people who are going through similar situations as you and decide to help them out of their despair. One of the things I try and counsel people when they come into my office and are dealing with 
issues of despair, issues of longing, I tell them, you know, why don't you take a break from that for a while and go and help and serve some other people. Serving other people is a great way, I mean, to be honest with you, get your mind off some of your problems, but also to recognize, to put your problems in perspective, to help you see that maybe things aren't as dark and dim as you think, and to maybe have some people who you're trying to minister to minister to you. So that's great, Travis. It's, well, what do we, it's what we do. That's how we trust in God. But what happens when we don't feel like we can trust God? We need to start trusting God's plan. We need to get God's plan. Verse 1, sorry, 102.23. He has broken my strength in mid-course. He has shortened my days. Oh my God, I say, take me not away in the midst of my days, you whose years endure throughout all generations. God is in charge of all of our time here on earth. All of it. You're not going to die early. Some of you are like, we're all deathly afraid of dying early. We're also afraid of dying later. I don't get that. We're afraid of dying. You're not going to die early. You're not going to die late. You're going to die right on time. And the Lord is in charge of your days. And the psalmist recognizes this. He says, God, you're the one that has shortened my days. So whatever illness he's going through, God's the cause of it. That's what he's saying. Whatever emotional pain he's going through, he's pointing back to God. Now, God may have allowed it to happen. I'm not saying God is the author of evil. He's not. But God does allow things to happen. And it is designed for a purpose and for a reason. There is a plan. But God also is the one who can lengthen his days. And so the psalmist, I don't want to say he's hedging his bets, but says, hey, God, if it's in your power, if it's in your will, lengthen my days. Don't let these days end shortly. Hezekiah in 2 Kings does the same thing. Prophet Isaiah comes to him and says, Hezekiah, God says you need to get your affairs in order, you're going to die. Turns around and walks out. Hezekiah gets bitter, upset, turns his face to the wall and starts praying, God, let this pass from me. Before Isaiah even leaves the palace, God says, turn around, i got another message for you, Isaiah. He goes back to Hezekiah and he says, God says that you're going to live for another 15 years. Did God change his mind? No. I don't think so. I think God wanted Hezekiah to pray. God has a plan that goes beyond our lives and goes beyond our scope of how things are going to be. He has a greater understanding than what we have. Despair is something that God does not experience personally. But he does understand it and he does get it. But God has a bigger plan. And his plan is to dwell with his people forever. Look at verse 25. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will wear out like a garment, but you will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end, and the children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. So wait a minute. God is going to destroy the heavens and the earth. He's going to stay forever, and his children are going to be secure well, where are we supposed to be if the heavens and the earth are gone? Where is God supposed to be if the heavens and the earth are secure? Revelation 21. I was asked this week, what's my favorite passage of Scripture? It changes, but I think Revelation 21 is pretty much in the top two or three. Verses 1 to 7. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of the heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. 
He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. God's plan is to create a new heaven and a new earth and come and dwell with his people on earth after the resurrection. There is not this, you need to get this idea out of your head, that we're going to die and go live on a floaty cloud with a harp for the rest of our life. That's not God's plan. Now, when you die, you will be, if you are in Christ, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you have given your heart and life to him, Trusted in Christ's sacrifice for salvation, when you die, you will be with God in heaven. But his eternal plan, when Christ returns, is to resurrect our dead bodies and dwell with us on earth. That is Revelation 21, with a new heaven and a new earth. God dwelling with his people. What does it say? It says he's going to wipe away every tear, every morning. There's not going to be any of that left. He's going to take care of it. So whatever it is that you're despairing through, Today, God will take care of it either in this life or the next. To continue talking about my sea captains, there's a, a sea captain named James Lawrence. James Lawrence. During the War of 1812, he was the commander of the USS Chesapeake. It was a super frigate, because in America we built them better than the British, I guess. And he went to sea and he fought against the uh, HMS Shannon. And the Shannon got some lucky hits on the Chesapeake. And they had snipers in their, their rigging and they shot Lawrence. And as he was dying, he said, he looked to his crew and he said, don't give up the ship. Fight her till she sinks. Some of you are in your, the ship that is your life and you're sitting there and thinking, I'm about to, I'm about to raise the white flag. I'm going to give up. The despair is too great. I can't take it. I can't handle it anymore. Don't give up the ship. Fight her till she sinks. Stay in the fight. Stay in the battle. No, you don't got this. You very much do not have this. But trust a God who does and get his plan. His plan is to grow you more and more in the image of his son. And whatever it is that you're going through, the more and more you turn it over to him, the more and more you will grow in the image of his son. And when you either get through what it is that's making you despair, or when you die, you will be more and more like Jesus. And that despair won't be here anymore. That'll pass away, but you will endure. If you put your hope and your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, don't give up the ship. Fight her till she sinks. Let's pray. Father God, you are gracious to us. And I know that because I've walked through seasons of despair and I've seen your goodness on the other side of it. I confess that, that in those times I was not the most faithful. I didn't look to you as I should have and could have. And so God, I pray for each person in this room, those who are fighting with despair, Lord God, I pray that you would restore their hope, that that flame that flickers would burn brighter than ever before that you would instill in them hope, return to them the joy of their salvation. Lord God, for those of us that aren't going through despair right now, that that's, the seas are calm and smooth, 
God, I pray that we would look around, look for vessels that are in trouble and come up alongside and help and that we would rejoice in the calm seas you've blessed us with. And for those of us, Lord, who are just adrift because we don't know you, God, I ask that you would break into our lives, help us to see you, and that we may put our trust and hope and faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for taking time to watch this sermon. If you would like more information about our church or following Jesus, please go to our website, pcbc.org, or contact our church offices. We hope to see you next week at church.